Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Before I get any further into this, thank you very much. Had some brilliant comments just recently on the recent editions of the Cricket Badger Podcast. A number of you out there, hopefully all of you out there, are enjoying the content we've been delivering during lockdown. Always good to hear. And if you're new to the Cricket Badger Podcast, have a little bit of a trawl back through some of the archives, the back issues, some really good interviews that we've done through the 130, whatever it is now, Cricket Badger podcasts. Chats with David Gower, Mark Butcher, Bumble, Jack Russell, Joe Roots cropped up. We've had Cigar Field Sobers. There's been all sorts of guests and brilliant chats as well. I usually find that if I enjoy the interview, it's usually quite a popular one. Because if you come out of the end of an interview having enjoyed the chat, it's usually a good sign. And I enjoyed the chat with the gentleman that's on it this time. You never hear a bad word in cricket about Alan Richardson. He's former Middlesex, Derbyshire, Worcestershire, Warwickshire, seam bowler. He's the current coach at Worcestershire CCC. And just a little bit of a, an add-on to this one, because I recorded this a few days ago. And Alan had just done one of his three runs. I, I saw then on Twitter, I think on Wednesday, that he'd done his third leg. But congratulations to everybody at Worcestershire for completing their Troll. We'll talk to Alan in a minute. He'll explain exactly what Worcestershire have been doing. But brilliant effort for a local hospice. All of the 18 counties in their different ways have done some superb things during COVID-19. Either raising money, raising awareness, helping the local community. It's been fantastic stuff. The 18 counties and their respective supporters can be really, really proud of what they've been doing while the country's been battling coronavirus. Thank you to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Brilliant sporting content on that site. Give them a follow. 
at TV Sports Blog on Twitter. Thank you to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Thanks to you for listening. Stay tuned. Keep those ears open. A two-parter this one with Alan Richardson, current Worcestershire bowling coach, player extraordinaire, and a very good guest on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. It's that Badger style. Alan Richardson, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the Cricket Badger podcast today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I sat out in the back garden uh, and just chilling and letting the kids and everything else that's going on in the house, the carnage unfold, and I've just turned my back and got out of it for a while. So, very welcome distraction, James. It's a, it's a slightly different time, isn't it, for cricketers and coaches and, and what have you at the moment, because we've got lockdown, we've got COVID-19, we've got uncertainty as far as all sports concerned, and it's certainly a, a different few weeks than you were anticipating at the moment. Oh, it's incredibly different, yeah, nothing that you could ever probably imagine or, I guess, try and plan for. So, yeah, I think just trying to take it as it is for the moment, try and see as much positive out of it as you can. So, be spending time with the kids that I wouldn't normally, spending a bit of time to actually try and get my own stuff together. So, and then just trying to plan forward, not really knowing what's going to happen, which is quite an interesting one. I think cricket is quite like routine, and as much as they, they say that they don't quite like that and a plan and knowing that. You know, if I start training at this time in November or December, first fixtures are here in April after a pre-season. We don't have any of that at the moment. So we're just sort of in a little bit of limbo. And I think some of the guys are finding it interesting times. It's one of the features of, of, of cricket, isn't it? You spend the winter preparing. You know when that starting line is going to be. You try and get yourself into a certain kind of shape as a bowler or a batsman for that starting line, knowing that you've got the season to come. And that starting line, nobody knows where that is. So it's, it's a tough physical challenge and a mental challenge, isn't it, for all of the players? It is, and you know, some of the really experienced cricketers will have a, a real set routine of, of what they need to do and how they're going to go about it, and so they almost time it, don't they? And that they get themselves ready for the run, and you know that they're ready and primed by the start of April, and now not knowing when that start date is, and you know, who knows if it's going to be this summer now or next summer? And so, so it's a real challenge for those guys. Um, as it is for all of us as coaches we, we love planning and organizing and at the moment it just feels like we can plan for a little bit knowing that it, it could change from day to day so yeah um i think it now gets you realizing as, as a as someone who's been in the game for a long time that the routine and, and the planning of it all was something that you really thrived with and not, not having that i think the majority of the guys i've spoken to have struggled with it a little bit yeah, you can imagine. I mean, certainly I and the reason I'm doing so many podcasts at the moment is just to try and keep myself sane, keep myself busy and give some kind of structure to my day. And, you know, cricketers, they get up, they get breakfast, they go to the ground, they play, they go go back to the hotel or whatever. And it's a, it's the summer that they know very, very well indeed, isn't it? And this is certainly a different kind of early May stroke April than that they, they would have been used to. And I suppose as well. I mean, did you? I'd imagine you're in constant contact with your your certainly your bowlers, and you're talking to them and trying to guide them through it. Uh, trying to, not knowing what I'm doing myself, to be honest. So uh, yeah, just making sure that everyone everyone's in a good, as good a place as they can be, really. So the mental health side of it all, um, making sure you know we talk about it, and I'm sure they'd all have moments. I like, gee, I could, I'd love a week off now. I'd love a week without cricket, and now they're suddenly realising what that might look like, uh, <laughs> not enjoying it as much. So yeah, just trying to keep keep ourselves busy, really, um, giving them the, the real opportunity to get other interests going, and trying to sort themselves out. There's a few guys that are trying to move house, which is obviously not 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 happening at the moment. So they're trying to get their heads around those sort of things. It's a challenge for us all, really. You know, like I said, I've been in the game now for twenty odd years, and you you get used to that routine and, and knowing what, where you're supposed to be at what time and how you're going to get there. And now it's suddenly you're given a bit more of a blank canvas. It can prove quite hard to draw a picture then. 
Absolutely. And I mean, as you say, nobody's been in this situation before. We're all kind of worried and concerned and, and hopeful and half of us are enjoying lockdown and the other half are absolutely finding it, it, it terrible. But one of, one of the things I've seen around the counties, and obviously you're at Worcestershire at the moment as, as their bowling coach, the, the counties seem to have really taken it as an opportunity to engage with the local communities and do some good work. And I've been seeing over the last few days the Worcestershire guys are doing kind of the relay marathon kind of thing to raise some money for a local hospice. Yeah, I think we looked at it and we were like, we need to do something. Um, we feel like we should do something. And obviously the NHS are being supported brilliantly at the moment uh, under a great amount of pressure and, and having to do a hell of a lot. And we were like, well, we feel like we should do something. And it, it's just doing a great opportunity. So Acorns Hospice are um, one of our official partners when it comes to the charities. And we just thought, well, what can we do? Well, the guys are doing a lot of fitness on their own anyway. So um, they decided to stretch themselves a little bit more and run for an hour. We came up with a figure, which was, I think it was 982 kilometres is officially from Worcester, then taking in all the northern T20 grounds in order. So go to Birmingham, then to Old Trafford, then up to Durham, Durham to Yorkshire, Yorkshire to Notts, Notts across to Derby, Derby down to Leicester, Leicester to Northampton, then Northampton back across to Worcester. So let's run it all and let's try and do it in a week. Um, and the boys have taken it on brilliantly. And so the girls, so we've got some of the, Worcestershire ladies playing for us. Uh, we've got some of the academy boys joining in with us. Uh, the staff, so Kevin Sharp, at however old he is, 80-odd or whatever, trying to do, <laughs> trying to do his hour, which was amazing. He did about eight kilometres, which was brilliant. And so, yeah, and you know, all for a good cause. So at the moment, we're doing really well. I think we're on course to, to get there. Um, I've done one of my three legs so far. That was quite an interesting one for me on Saturday. And so, yeah, we thought it would be a really good opportunity to engage with the community you've seen. You know, Essex have been providing food for the vulnerable and things like that. And several counties have been phoning up members and just checking on their well-being. So I think it's a real good opportunity. And once it, you know, we're in, still in a privileged position, I think, to, to try and give something back to the community. I, I love the tale with Sharpie. And, you know, I, I know him from his time at Yorkshire. And he's been a guest on the on the podcast just recently, actually. And he's got a thousand he, stories from <laughs> Kev then, I would have thought. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's good value, is Kev. And the, um, he, he, we've got a mutual friend, myself and Kev, uh, one of his best mates, he's called Nick. And uh, Nick had, he'd asked Nick to sponsor him. And I think Kev had to do 5K. And Nick had said, well, if you do 5K, I'll sponsor you, I think, £20 a mile. And he said, if you do over 5K, I'll double it. And I think Kev did 5.02 kilometres, and Nick's basically over <laughs> 200 pounds. So he's, he's clever as well, Kevin Sharp. He's cleverer than he looks. He is, he is. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he? That's experience, I think, for you from Kev. So he knew exactly what he's doing. It was an amazing effort. So, yeah, our, one of our physios has just done his leg. Um, trying to think who's on there at the moment. So, yeah, we're, we're somewhere between Durham and Yorkshire at the moment. Um, and, yeah, going really well. I think the boys have really enjoyed it. It's galvanised us a little bit as a group. You know, the guys are so used to spending a lot of time with each other. And now suddenly, they've, you know, we've gone over a month now where, you know, a few of the boys share houses together, so they've been in lockdown together, but everyone else has been separated. So it's been all these, you know, Zoom meetings or virtual chats and on FaceTime, but actually just getting together a little bit and doing it for, for a common cause has been great. So I think it's been, it's been a great initiative. The boys have taken it on brilliantly well and have really pushed it. So it's been fantastic. And it's got the whole club, really. We've had a lot of our age group lads um, helping along and doing their own little bit as well and, and posting on Twitter and Instagram and all these sort of fancy things that I don't know anything about. So it's it's been really good so far. And, you know, we finished, I think, Thursday night and we should be back virtually at New Road by then. 
I think it's been really nice to see. I mean, Essex, Derbyshire, I've been looking around the various county websites and Twitter fees. All the counties in their own way are doing something like that. And it's important, isn't it, that, that sports clubs have that sort of community responsibility, have that connection with the community and try and, and, and put something back and do some good. Yeah, I think so. I've been, I've been harping on about routine and planning with you for the last five, ten minutes. At the end of the day, that's a first world problem, isn't it? When we start cricket again. So I think we're still in a really privileged position, I think, to try and, and try and give something back. So and we've got that opportunity to do it. And I think, you know, we should take it. We're in the middle of the season now. It'd be absolute carnage, frantic, hectic, you know, no time to, to do anything really. So we have that opportunity and we certainly use the position of, you know, representing the county and the community to, to put something back. And so Acorns have been fab- fabulous and have really supported us. And yeah, it's been really good. And it actually gives you a, a huge sense of worth at the moment, which some of the guys I think have, have said that they've struggled with really. If you don't play cricket and you're a cricketer, it can be quite difficult. I've spoken to a sports psychologist about exactly that. And it's your identity, isn't it? Who are you? I'm a cricketer. And at the moment, nobody's anything really, are they? And it's it's a, it's a strange, strange time that we're living in. And uh, I, I, just just uh, on, on a more personal thing with you, Alan, the I'm looking at your Crick Info page at the moment, and it says uh, I'm speaking to you on Monday the fourth of May. Your podcast will go out just after after that. But um, it says 44 years and 364 days. What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> um, I don't know what I'm going to do for my birthday. I imagine it will be taking the kids to the park very quickly at some stage and then trying to entertain them and homeschool them. Hopefully I might get a few cards and a few presents, but you never know. So yes, it'll be a fairly low-key birthday, I think. But at 45, or turning 45, I'm not what massive one for celebrating when I'm getting that old, to be honest. <laughs> you're not shouting it from the rooftops. Well, uh, I ma- certainly won't be advertising it, James. No, but thank <laughs> you. But you're, this will go out after this, so it'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be too late by then. Well, many happy returns from all of the listeners. Thank you very anyway, much, so Thank you. Hope you, hope, you, hope you do have a good day, lockdown permitting. <laughs> Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Let's get on to the Cricket Badger 20 questions. I know you've already seen them and you've had a chance to, uh, to, to digest those. So we'll start off with question number one, Alan. If not a cricketer, Alan Richardson, what would you have done with your life? Where would life have taken you? I, I think without a shadow of doubt, I'd have been a teacher. So I was really unimaginative all the way through my work experiences at school and college and just basically went back to my old school or one of my old schools and basically wanted to be a PE teacher. So I always just loved sport. You can imagine that. And the environment that I knew was school, I quite enjoyed school whilst not being academically brilliant and just was quite happy to do that. And so I actually got in at university to do my teaching degree and then got signed up as a cricketer um, unexpectedly as an 18, 19-year-old. Much to my mother's disgust, I decided to defer my entry. <laughs> and that was in 1993. So I think I might struggle to get in Roehampton Institute now, if I'm honest. Is it still not deferred? Is there, is there a time lapse on that? I think that, I think it was only a year. I think they gave up <laughs> on me. I, I don't think I was exactly going to be a stellar student for him anyway. So, did, did you find when you? I mean, you say that that you'd always had that in your mind to, to be a teacher. And I, I can remember going back to my school. I always thought I want to be a journalist. And we, we, they used to do those tests, kind of work experience sort of tests, where somebody come in and they'd give you all of these tests about your character and what you like doing and all, all this kind of thing. And that would tell you what job you were you were intended for. And I I always used to think. I, I answered those questions knowing what I wanted to do. So therefore, it came out as 
that was the answer at the end of it. Sometimes you might deny yourself other opportunities because you kind of you are that blinker to maybe that, that channel in your life. I think one of the good things that I have done during my cricket time, like in the winters that I didn't go overseas, I looked at doing other things. So I spent I actually spent two months um, helping out Brian Halford, who's at Warwickshire. So doing um, stuff at the Evening Mail at Birmingham. Um, I really enjoyed that. Did some work with the sports agency for a while. Um, worked for a spread betting company for a while uh, and really enjoyed all those, but kept coming back to either coaching or teaching. And so I, I think while it was really important for me to have a look at those, they were almost a case of, well, I think this is where I wanted to go. Let's just make sure and try other stuff that I'm interested in. And it, it certainly was the case. Who has been the biggest influence on your cricket career? Initially, it was my granddad. So on my mum's side, granddad, Jack, who just was an absolute sports nut. And I've got an older sister who's 10 years older than me. Um, so in the, in the uh, summer holidays, she'd be off working and I'd be stuck with my granddad for the summer holidays. And when I say stuck with it, I absolutely loved it. And basically, I got to bowl at him or he bowled at me for the majority of the summer, uh, play football, watch snooker, watch golf, watch anything that was on free to our telly, which wasn't a great deal in that time, now knowing how old how old I am, James. So, and he was massive and he just loved his sport and so just drummed it into me, really. So he was brilliant and he was such a support in his own way. Quite critical, which was always quite funny. Um, huge support. And then obviously my parents, who I, I wasn't an amazing cricketer as a kid, but I loved playing and I, I got picked in some representative stuff towards the end of my schooling and stuff like that. And they just went everywhere with me and were really supportive. So I think without without them and without their influence, my dad was a was a third team cricketer and I just used to go everywhere with him on a Saturday as well and they'd let me bowl at them and whatever else. So that was a huge part of me. So and I felt I was really lucky. I grew up at a really good club who looked after me and made sure that I didn't ever get too big for my boots and I behaved myself. So I have to I have my family to thank for that really. You you said a couple of times now that, you know, signing as a cricketer was a surprise for you and that you, you weren't the maybe the the standout cricketer when you were younger. When, when, what was it that um, suddenly flicked the switch that made you step up to a professional level? Well, it's quite, yeah, without trying to bore you with the long answer, but basically I I, did, I couldn't get in my county setup until I was 17. So I went to the trials and couldn't get in at Staffordshire. Good side, some good players. Tony Frost, Vikram Solanke, Jason Brown, uh, Kevin Dean all went on to play. All, all my sort of age group and they all went on to play and I was miles behind them at that at that stage and then suddenly Derbyshire came in for me at 18 um, well out of the blue you know I only just started playing age group cricket let alone anything like that and that's where it came from really and I was miles behind and that was whilst it was a really entertaining couple of years I was miles away but at that stage it was like well someone must think I'm, I'm okay so and just really hanging around with those guys realising how far I'd got to go that was a real one but obviously thinking that Phil Russell was actually the coach at the time who went on to be the groundsman and coach at um, the town and he showed a great deal of faith in me so it was at that stage there it was like I am miles behind but someone must think I've got the potential to do it so it was from there really I've, I've spoken to quite a lot of cricketers at, you know, and on the cusp of making it as a, as a player and obviously some don't that, that kind of sense of am I good enough should I be here that imposter syndrome was that was that prevalent in you in that time that you thought am I winging this am I uh, or uh, you know am I good enough to actually achieve this oh I was it was 100% I am absolutely winging this there's no way I should be here <laughs> but someone thinks that I must have something in there to do it so it wasn't until I signed for Warwickshire and then and answered one of your questions later that actually was like no I actually belong here but it was very much like well I'm enjoying this ride 
I am, yes, I am winging it, but someone must think, you know, I was trialling here, there and everywhere. I was playing for staffs and doing quite well for them. So there was something there, but it was just like, I knew that I'd still got a long way to go. Um, when I signed at Derby, she was an 18-year-old. One, it came out of the blue, but their, their bowling attack at the time, Ian Bishop was there overseas. He actually didn't end up playing that season. There, Devon Malcolm, Dominic Cork, Philip Freitas, uh, Simon Bass, Jack Warner, Ol Mortensen. They had some absolute legends there. So just watching how they worked and the level that they were at was just like, well, I've obviously got a long way to go, but it was such, such an interesting time for me. And just like, yes, I am winging it, but there must be something where I, I might be able to make this. It's just going to take a bit of time. If somebody had offered you then 169 first-class matches, 66 list A matches, 569 first-class wickets at 26.37, would you A, have thought they were having a joke or, and, and B, you snapped bon- your hand off? A- you? Absolutely bonkers, yes. I'd have lost a lot of money with them. I know that much. Um, but no, I, I, you know, once you got a bit of a taste for it at Derby, and I played a couple of games. I played one one-day game and I played a, a first-class fixture against Oxford Uni. I was like, well, now I've started it, you know, I've got to give myself a chance to do it. And I, I never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd, I'd play for as long as I did. So that was, you know, I consider that to be a major achievement. I think a lot of people look back sometimes and uh, they wish they could have done more. And I think we're all like that. But I also am really proud of what I did, the amount of games that I played and the clubs that I played for and the players that I managed to play with and the teammates that I managed to have. So, yeah, it was it was a, it was a huge surprise, but one that I knew that I'd have to work reasonably hard for, especially when I, my time at Derby, when I knew that I was miles away. Quick info list, you was right on medium. Where would you put yourself? Yeah, that's fair enough. I'll take that as a bit of a compliment. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, right on medium. <laughs> yeah, I ran in a long way to probably it as a trundle it down at about 78 miles an hour I think <laughs> you, you wouldn't put yourself in the, in the, in the bracket above that uh, I think when I was a bit younger maybe when I try I, I mean I really tried I mean I, I had no idea I even bowled with a windmill until I was about 17 and I thought I had a perfect action but yeah once I got those arms going and I got if I was wind with I always stood a chance I think of maybe pushing 80 that was about it really What's been your best moment in cricket? If I could take you back to any day in your playing days and you could relive it again to enjoy it again where would you take me? Well, I just touched on it then earlier on. My, I got so I, I spent three years out of the game after Derby, where I just played minor counties cricket and club cricket and other bits and pieces. And then I got signed by Warwickshire. My home debut for Warwickshire, which would have been late on in '99, I actually did really well. It was my third game for him, and I got eight for in the first innings against Gloucester. And I'd love to go back to that now because I don't really remember too much about it. It was all a bit of a blur. The fact that I was playing at Edgebaston, which was the first ground I ever went to. I went to watch the 1985 Ashes test there and to get eight for on an absolute shocking wicket, but still against Gloucester was was amazing. And I don't think I ever really took it in properly. Uh, Mum and dad have got some pictures from it, but I can't really remember too much of it. So going back to that day would be amazing. And that, you, you touched on it earlier, that was when I was like, right, I can actually do this. Um, I, I was feeling reasonably confident that, you know, a club like Warwickshire thought that I was good enough, but then to do that, you're like, right, now, I've, you know, I've got a real good, platform and I was very lucky to, to to have that so early on in my career I think. I've mentioned this before on the podcast quite a few times but Brian Close has almost got he almost had a, a photographic memory for every single field change he ever did and, and knows the times of certain events and can remember things crystal clearly. Other players kind of everything kind of mixes into a fog. Where, where are you on that kind of spectrum? Can you remember wickets you took and remember certain balls? I mean I, I know kind of kind of relating it to myself I can remember certain shots I've played in club cricket. I can remember 
a five iron that I hit into a, a green that was about two inches from the pin and a, a, a three wood that I played over some water. Yeah, crystal clearly, but other things kind of blur into one. Yeah, I'm a bit like that as well. I, I'm The best I can get really is if I'm ever asked where I was in a particular year, I, I'll go to the cricket season and know exactly that. And my wife's a bit like, that's a, bit, that's a really good memory. I'm like, no, it's literally just knowing which club I was at and how I did that year yeah. to be able to tell you where I was at but apart from that no really poor so you know that performance I can't really remember my last performance uh, in a first class game at Worcester against North Ants don't really remember any of that and that, that really irks me now to be honest um, so no I'm pretty poor when it comes to that there'll be the odd moment that will come back probably to me where I'm like oh I remember that or and it'll be a really bizarre moment potentially as well so the only wicket there's a couple, there's always one that stands out, which is I got Michael Powell out at Kent. And the only reason I remember it is because he, he cut a, a wide long up and it hit Gareth Andrew on the head at Gully and Daryl Mitchell called it a second slip. So that's about <laughs> one of the only ones I can remember. That, that's quite a good one to come off a Brian Close um, framed question because he, well, was, he was renowned for doing yeah. that, wasn't he? Yeah, I just remember Daryl like, literally clambering over first and second slip to make sure he got another catch while Gareth Andrew <laughs> was rolling around on the floor. <laughs> You've done the good bits of uh, of your uh, your playing career. What's what's been the worst moment in cricket? What day would you definitely not want to relive? Oh well, it, it's it's a year more than anything, but it, we can pinpoint it back to a day. Um, but it was 2006, which was an absolute disaster for me, to be honest. Um, I just signed at Middlesex a year before and had a and done okay that year and really enjoyed it. You know, again for a kid who didn't think he was going to play any first class cricket, to call Lords my home was amazing. And I broke my thumb in a pre-season friendly. Ronnie Arani hit one back at me. And I dropped it, caught and bowled in a pre-season game at Chelmsford. And I broke my thumb. And then I came back too early, played with a plastic cast on um, against Durham. And um, basically messed my elbow up through the mechanics of it all. And I missed the whole season. I ended up having two or three operations on my elbow. And it was horrific, really. I was in London on my own, <clears throat> not really knowing too many people apart from the lads I played cricket with, who were obviously all playing cricket. So I'd probably go back to that game at Durham and be like, no, actually, do you know what? I'm not playing, lads. I'm going to give it another week um, to recover. And I think I would have got that whole 2006 season in as close as I could. Yeah. But that really, yeah, that, that whole bit, 2006 was an absolute disaster, to be honest. The wise I mean, that hindsight I don't know if I ever saw me but I was shocking. But I, I, I agreed to play in that game and batted one-handed. That's not a great start, is it? <laughs> That's just showing off, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> if there's anything that I could do, James, with the bat, yeah. it was not showing off. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the Cricket Badger podcast. The listeners are going up every single week through COVID-19. Hopefully, we're giving you a little bit of entertainment to take you away from the troubles in the world thank you very much for listening loads of great guests planned for the next few weeks as well so stay tuned to cricket badger podcast like subscribe thank you so much for your support of the cricket badger podcast i was going to ask you actually looking at your first class records 150 but it was 91 wasn't it what would you give for yeah, another again, nine runs really irks me yeah. really irks me can't remember much about that either and i've got no footage of it and it was ridiculous um, so yeah, to someone who you know was shocking with the bat to, to get my highest score ninety one, and there's a fair few players that I played with and now coach who it really irks them as well that I've got a higher first class score than them. <laughs> what was that a day where you just shut your eyes and swung and it came off, or was that was it no, more, was actually, it more cultured it was, than that? that? It was it was 
unlike me, I ended up my career being someone who, my, my trigger ended up being back and away rather than back and across. And um, <laughs> But in that game, um, I was batting with Nick Knight. So I, we batted sensibly. I was noughting that out overnight. It was the end of the first day. And me and Knighty, just the next day, we were just like, well, let's just see where we get to. And I got I got through the first hour and then got through the second and got to lunch and you're like, oh, wow, here we go. And I just think, you know, the Hampshire lads, I think they'd all been up Broad Street that night, the night before, which had helped me as well. So they're all quite hungover and I ended up batting for four hours. So When you get that, Alan, and you, you think, does does that not make you think, why couldn't I have done that more often? Or is it was it just a one-off? Uh, it was just a one-off. There was, there was the odd time when, but no, in general, I my ability to pick up length was nigh on non-existent. And so batting was always an issue for me. Um, don't know why. Well, I do know why. I just wasn't very good. and I didn't practice well enough. Um, typical sportsman, really, um, in terms of some habits that you have. And if you're not very good at something, you just sort of leave it and do the stuff that you can do. So, no, I do wish I'd taken far more time over my batting and worked it out a bit more. But no, that was very much a one-off. Really, the fact that I played as many games as I did and only scored 150 probably tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> but what I would say is, once I score 50, I do really go off. That would do, that was always my argument. Yeah, but your conversion rates appalling. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very true. I just remember getting out to Giles White. I think Hampshire had completely given up the ghost by then, and there was a short leg side boundary, and I went to. I thought I could do this in two hits. It got well ahead of myself and got out stumped, slog sweeping. <laughs> Who was your cricket hero when you were young? Was the one? Was, was I mean, you, you talk about loving cricket and playing it a lot, but not necessarily seeing it as a, a, a profession. But was cricket that important to you that you had a poster boy as, as a cricketer? Well, the person I'm going to mention is definitely not a poster boy. So, And I get a bit of stick for it for anyone who does know that he was my hero. But I think growing up, like I say, in 1985, I went to the Ashes Test at Edgebaston. And at that time, players, individual players, didn't really bother me. Like, it was only when I started to relate my own performances to people that I think then that's when I started to get it. So this is going to be disappointing for everyone, I think. But Angus Fraser. Okay. There you go. He just looked so miserable. And it looked (laughs) like it hurt so much. And he was so miserly that it's something that I could relate to. And I really enjoyed it. And he didn't disappoint. So thankfully, towards the end of my career, I got to play against Gus. And he was as miserable as I hoped he would be. It was brilliant. I, I really like Gus Fraser. I've interviewed him a couple of times in person, and and he is that, isn't he? But he's he's got yeah. kind of that dry sense of humour. He's he, he... he's got an amazing dry sense of humour, and I, I really enjoy his company. And I was really lucky right at the end of my time at Middlesex that he'd just taken over the director's cricket role, and it would have been something that I would have liked to have carried on at. You know, one of the reasons I would have loved to have carried on at Middlesex, but I made the decision uh, not to. But yeah, I really enjoyed Gus's company. I enjoyed talking to him about anything really especially his cricket, and I just love watching him bowl. His main strength was his accuracy, was his control, and that was something that I tried to pride myself on when I was a kid. Uh, I think growing up, not being the best player, even in my club side at age group stuff, by a long way, meant that I wanted to bowl, but I didn't always get the chance. So when I did, I had to make sure I stayed on for as long as possible. And I soon worked out that that way was to just not go for any runs. And so I think, whether Gus did that, but... He was just so miserly and, yeah, I just really enjoyed watching him bowl and how he used to go about it. He, he did always look like it was the last thing he wanted to do in the world, wasn't it, running and bowl? Uh, and I love that as well, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I do champion the bowlers that I coach that they, they should be miserable, they should be grumpy, and if they're not grumpy, they're not doing it properly. 
The next question is, I'm, I'm now referring it to it in my own head as the Billy Godelman question, because Billy changed the, the nature of this question a little bit. But it's, if you could trade lives with any current cricketer for a day, who would you choose? Well, Billy refused to do current. He went back and was, became Ian Botham. So I'll let you go back in time if you want to. But who would you like to live in the skin well, of and experience what it's like to be them for a day? This is, again, going to be quite an interesting one. But I always thought about this when bowling really hurt. And I loved being a seam bowler and I loved the craft of it all. And But I was always very jealous of, of one player. Um, and this might surprise but it's Ian Blackwell. Okay. I worked on the fact that if you can run in and bowl off a couple of paces, left arm spin, <laughs> turn it away from the bat, bat six or seven and slog it and have a decent set of hands, I'd be like, how perfect would that be? That was completely against what I could do. So I bowled doubly medium paces, which were pretty naff at times. Um, I batted 11 and couldn't really bat very well. And my fielding was average at times. So I was like Ian Blackwell. So if I was going to go current, it would be Jadeja. I think he's an right. absolute gun and I think it's brilliant. And I just think that would be, if you're going to come back, that's it. Left arm spinner who can whack it, about six or seven and a good fielder. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's a decent answer. That is a decent answer. I'm going to put you... Alan Richardson, in charge of world cricket for a day. You're behind the big desk. You've got your name on the door. You can do whatever you like to cricket. What would you change? I've thought long and hard about this, and I've come up with some really uninspiring ideas. My first one, which is reasonably serious, is it's compulsory to have X amount of days of cricket on, on free-to-air television. So that was how I grew up. It was BBC. It was watching test matches. It was all that sort of stuff. And I'm lucky enough to have Sky, all the other gubbins that tends to go with it, but I appreciate that not everyone else is. And I, as much as I loved playing cricket and you know, being going down on a Saturday to put, watch my dad play and stuff like that, it, I think being having access to it and just remembering what test match summer days were like. You know, you were off from school. I'm like, I've literally got six or seven hours of cricket to watch here. I'm going to absolutely love it. And so I would like that, if I'm honest. If not, bats have to be modified back again for something like to give everyone a chance. I'm sick of watching people get hit sixes with leading edges and things. So this is very much in my bowler's, bowler's head on. There's, there's two questions that come from that, one from each. The free-to-air one, I mean, we're not too far apart in age. And I can remember every kid, we, we all want youngsters to at least consider cricket as an option. And because we all know you as a player, me as a, as a, as a fan and, a, and somebody in the media how much you can get from the game. Um, and you know, even playing club cricket, you make friends for life and it's, it's a fantastic sport to, to get involved in. And, but you, you need that catalyst, don't you? And that, that to me, from, for me and you, came from channel surfing one day, finding a cricket match, thinking I'll give this 10 minutes and actually still being there six hours later watching, watching it finish for the day and getting your hero and then picking up your bat and your ball and going down the, the local park or field to, to try and become that hero. And... I don't think that enough people are exposed to that at the moment. No, it, it, you know, it, I totally agree. And that's, that was my big, one of my big things really, but also understanding that without, I guess, that the contribution of the satellite companies, I, I don't know also where cricket would be as well. So, so it's a really interesting one, but that would be the one for me. It's like whether people agreed with 100 or not, that was an opportunity to go free to air for a while. And I just love that opportunity to arise again. I just think it was a complete catalyst for me. I, you know, I'd watch my dad play 30-11 cricket, but you know, I probably wouldn't have many heroes in that. But then to watch international cricket as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, and I'd literally be glued to the screen, absolutely loving it, score some of the days and things like that, and just get so engrossed in it. And I'm like, not everyone has that opportunity. And I think that's really sad. 
It's, it's even more important these days, isn't it? Because there's so many you know competing things for kids' time. You know, teenagers have got the computers. They've got all these other things that they can you know cram into a day. And cricket needs to stick its hand up again, doesn't it? And say, look at me, come and enjoy me. I think so. I think that's a, that's a gamble that they have to take. And I think it's a risk worth taking. I think, you know, life has changed quite a bit. Society has changed quite a bit. But also access to other sports. I, literally at school, I think I would have played three or four sports and that is it. Whereas now, and quite rightly, you know, if you're growing up in, in today's society, you get an opportunity to experience lots of different sports. So cricket has to understand that they're, and they do, that they're competing against lots of other things as well. And so for me, a, a way of doing that is to get that, to, 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 you know, try and get some sort of cricket and as much as possible on free to air. I mean, I think 2005, I might be right, it would be the last time that was Channel 4 with the Ashes. Yeah. And that just absolutely gripped and that was absolutely amazing. Like, loved it and you know that not all test series are going to be like that but you know that that for me was should be a real example of you know if you can do it what what can we put on free to air i had simon hughes on the podcast a few months ago and we were talking about that because he was in the in his truck doing his analyst stuff for channel four and then the next year it was on sky and you're right sky have done a brilliant job and the money they put into the game has been massively useful but you know there there needs to be certainly not a knock at them and their tv coverage because it's been great but there needs to be that avenue into sport for for, into the sport for, for youngsters and i don't think it's there at the moment so i really applaud your first choice the second choice about the bats and and the the bowlers very much comes from the bowlers union and there's a bowl from a bowling coach isn't it when, when I was um, asked to bring you onto the Cricket Budget podcast by the aforementioned Kevin Sharp, he said uh, to ask you, why is it that you basically always think that if the ball hits the pad and there's a half appeal, it's out? Well, generally going on the consensus, if you're not good enough to hit it, there should be an appeal against your wicket anyway, I think. So there you go. You've got batters have so much. I can't, if we were to go through all the law changes, the rule changes over the last 20 years, to help the batters would hugely outweigh the bowlers. And so I think we need something back a little bit as well. As a batter, the, the bats have changed massively now. And it, it is really good, but and it obviously gives for cricket where, you know, that they say that, you know, the spectator wants to see fours and sixes, but I think it's potentially gone a bit too far. And the bats now are absolutely, you know, you can lead an edge one for six and all sorts of stuff. And I'm just like, let's get it back to a bit of batsmanship, a little bit of craft. So we're not allowed to change the ball. When we do change the ball by artificial means, you know, people get banned for a long time. So we've not been allowed to change our weapon, but batters, the, the weapon that they now have in their hands is very different than it was um, quite a few years ago. And so I think let's try and get it back a little bit so the best batters and the guys who have really worked at it will we'll see them shine. Whereas I think at the moment, these massive bats that weigh nothing, they are great, but I, I, I'd like to see with my bowling head on. Let's get something back. Give the bowlers a bit of a chance. I, I love Red Bull. I love the kind of the, the sways that of momentum that a, a, a four-day match or a Test match can give you. But I, I love watching the white ball stuff as well. And you're right, people use that uh, that saying. You know, people turn up to watch fours and sixes, but I don't think that's always the case. I think you sometimes you see so many of them. You see Alex Hales or Virat Kohli or Chris Gale or whoever smacking the ball over a stand. You almost become immune to the the amazingness of that after a while because you've seen so many of them, and yeah, you know, people also want to see an Alan Donald or or somebody really good breaking the middle stump in half, don't they? <laughs> That's what I'd like to think. Yes. So, uh, I, I, yeah, it was, 
I wouldn't say it's a massive bugbear of me. And certainly the free to air one would be the one, but this one would be, you know, let, let's let's sort out, you know, the really skilled batters will be the ones that can, you know, can use anything. And a, a real example for me, Kane Williamson. I reckon you could stick a 1975 Flazinger in yeah. his hand or something, and he'd find a way. And that, that for me is absolutely what it's all about at times. When I do a, a bit of cricket commentary and we we start talking about who would you choose to bat for your life, Kane Williamson is always my answer. I'd, I'd feel safer with him <laughs> with my life in his hands than most other cricketers in the world, I think. I think that's a pretty good choice. It's a pretty good choice. There'll be some others, but he's a very good choice. It's that Badger style. There you go then. That's the first half of my interview with Alan Richardson. I'm sure you're enjoying it. And if you are and you want to hear part two, plenty more great stuff coming up in that second half of the chat. And turn this one off. Turn on part two. It's out now. Waiting for you to listen to it. And you won't be disappointed. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.